Chapter Seven of Against the Grain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen. Against the Grain by Joris Karl Wiesmans. Translated by John Howard. Chapter Seven. Ever since the night when he had evoked for no apparent reason a whole train of melancholy memories pictures of his past life returned to des Esseintes and gave him no peace he found himself unable to understand a single word of the books he read he could not even receive impressions through his eyes it seemed to him that his mind saturated with literature and art refused to absorb any more he lived within himself nourished by his own substance like some torpid creature which hibernates in caves solitude had reacted upon his brain like a narcotic after having strained and enervated it his mind had fallen victim to a sluggishness which annihilated his plans, broke his will-power, and invoked a cortege of vague reveries to which he passively submitted. The confused medley of meditations on art and literature in which he had indulged since his isolation, as a dam to bar the current of old memories, had been rudely swept away and the onrushing irresistible wave crashed into the present and future submerging everything beneath the blanket of the past filling his mind with an immensity of sorrow on whose surface floated like futile wreckage absurd trifles and dull episodes of his life the book he held in his hands fell to his knees. He abandoned himself to the mood which dominated him, watching the dead years of his life, filled with so many disgusts and fears, move past. What a life he had lived! He thought of the evenings spent in society, the horse-races, card-parties, love affairs ordered in advance and served at the stroke of midnight in his rose-coloured boudoir he recalled faces expressions vain words which obsessed him with the stubbornness of popular melodies which one cannot help humming but which suddenly and inexplicably end by boring one this phase had not lasted long his memory gave him respite, and he plunged again into his Latin studies, so as to efface the impressions of such recollections. But almost instantly, the rushing force of his memories swept him into a second phase, that of his childhood, especially of the years spent at the school of the fathers. Although more remote, they were more positive and more indelibly stamped on his brain. The leafy park, the long walks, the flower-beds, the benches, 
all the actual details of the monastery rose before him here in his room the gardens filled and he heard the ringing cries of the students mingling with the laughter of the professors as they played tennis with their cassocks tucked up between their knees or perhaps chatted under the trees with the youngsters without any posturing or hauteur as though they were companions of the same age he recalled the easy yoke of the monks who declined to administer punishment by inflicting the commitment of five hundred or a thousand lines while the others were at play being satisfied with making those delinquents prepare the lesson that had not been mastered and most often simply having recourse to a gentle admonition they surrounded the children with an active but gentle watch seeking to please them consenting to whatever expeditions they wished to take on tuesdays taking the occasion of every minor holiday not formally observed by the church to add cakes and wine to the ordinary fare and to entertain them with picnics it was a paternal discipline whose success lay in the fact that they did not seek to domineer over the pupils that they gossiped with them treating them as men while showering them with the attentions paid a spoiled child in this manner the monks succeeded in assuming a real influence over the youngsters in moulding to some extent the minds which they were cultivating in directing them in a sense in instilling special ideas in assuring the growth of their thoughts by insinuating wheedling methods with which they continued to flatter them throughout their careers taking pains not to lose sight of them in their later life and by sending them affectionate letters like those which the dominican lacordaire so skilfully wrote to his former pupils of sorez des Esaintes took note of this system which had been so fruitlessly expended on him his stubborn captious and inquisitive character disposed to controversies had prevented him from being modelled by their discipline or subdued by their lessons his scepticism had increased after he left the precincts of the college his association with a legitimist intolerant and shallow society his conversations with unintelligent church wardens and abbots whose blunders tore away the veil so subtly woven by the jesuits had still more fortified his spirit of independence and increased his scorn for any faith whatever he had deemed himself free of all bonds and constraints unlike most graduates of lycee or private schools he had preserved a vivid memory of his college and of his masters and now as he considered these matters he asked himself if the seeds sown until now on barren soil were not beginning to take root for several days in fact his soul had been strangely perturbed 
at moments he felt himself veering towards religion then at the slightest approach of reason his faith would dissolve yet he remained deeply troubled analyzing himself he was well aware that he would never possess a truly christian spirit of humility and penitence he knew without a doubt that he would never experience that moment of grace mentioned by lacordaire when the last shaft of light penetrates the soul and unites the truths there lying dispersed he never felt the need of mortification and of prayer without which no conversion is possible if one is to believe the majority of priests he had no desire to implore a god whose forgiveness seemed most improbable yet the sympathy he felt for his old teachers lent him an interest in their works and doctrines those inimitable accents of conviction those ardent voices of men of indubitably superior intelligence returned to him and led him to doubt his own mind and strength amid the solitude in which he lived without new nourishment without any fresh experiences without any renovation of thought without that exchange of sensations common to society in this unnatural confinement in which he persisted all the questionings forgotten during his stay in paris were revived as active irritants the reading of his beloved latin works almost all of them written by bishops and monks had doubtless contributed to this crisis enveloped in a convent-like atmosphere in a heady perfume of incense his nervous brain had grown excitable and by an association of ideas these books had driven back the memories of his life as a young man revealing in full light the years spent with the fathers there is no doubt about it des esaintes mused as he reasoned the matter and followed the progress of this introduction of the jesuitic spirit into fontenay since my childhood although unaware of it i have had this leaven which has never fermented the weakness i have always borne for religious subjects is perhaps a positive proof of it but he sought to persuade himself to the contrary disturbed at no longer being his own master he searched for motives it had required a struggle for him to abandon things sacerdotal since the church alone had treasured objects of art the lost forms of past ages even in its wretched modern reproductions she had preserved the contours of the gold and silver ornaments the charm of chalices curving like petunias and the charm of pyxes with their chaste sides even in aluminium and imitation enamels and coloured glasses she had preserved the grace of vanished modes in short 
most of the precious objects now to be found in the cluny museum which have miraculously escaped the crude barbarism of the philistines come from the ancient french abbeys and just as the church had preserved philosophy and history and letters from barbarism in the middle ages so had she saved the plastic arts bringing to our own days those marvellous fabrics and jewelries which the makers of sacred objects spoil to the best of their ability without being able to destroy the originally exquisite form it followed then that there was nothing surprising in his having bought these old trinkets in his having together with a number of other collectors purchased such relics from the antique shops of paris and the second-hand dealers of the provinces but these reasons he evoked in vain he did not wholly succeed in convincing himself he persisted in considering religion as a superb legend a magnificent imposture yet despite his convictions his scepticism began to be shattered this was the singular fact he was obliged to face he was less confident now than in childhood when he had been directly under the influence of the jesuits when their instruction could not be shunned when he was in their hands and belonged to them body and soul without family ties with no outside influence powerful enough to counteract their precepts moreover they had inculcated in him a certain tendency towards the marvellous which interned and exercised in the close quarters of his fixed ideas had slowly and obscurely developed in his soul until to-day it was blossoming in his solitude affecting his spirit regardless of arguments by examining the process of his reasoning by seeking to unite its threads and to discover its sources and causes he concluded that his previous mode of living was derived from the education he had received thus his tendencies towards artificiality and his craving for eccentricity were no more than the results of specious studies spiritual refinements and quasi-theological speculations they were in the last analysis ecstasies aspirations towards an ideal towards an unknown universe as desirable as that promised us by the holy scriptures he curbed his thoughts sharply and broke the thread of his reflections well he thought vexed i am even more affected than i had imagined here i am arguing with myself like a very casuist he was left pensive agitated by a vague fear certainly if lacordaire's theory was sound he had nothing to be afraid of since the magic touch of conversion is not to be consummated in a moment to bring about the explosion the ground must be constantly and assiduously mined 
but just as the romancers speak of the thunderclap of love so do theologians also speak of the thunderclap of conversion no one was safe should one admit the truth of this doctrine there was no longer any need of self-analysis of paying heed to presentiments of taking preventive measures the psychology of mysticism was void things were so because they were so and that was all i am really becoming stupid thought des Esseintes. the very fear of this malady will end by bringing it on if this continues he partially succeeded in shaking off this influence the memories of his life with the jesuits waned only to be replaced by other thoughts he was entirely dominated by morbid abstractions despite himself he thought of the contradictory interpretations of the dogmas of the lost apostasies of father l'abbe recorded in the works on the decrees fragments of these schisms scraps of these heresies which for centuries had divided the churches of the orient and the occident returned to him here nestorius denied the title of mother of god to the virgin because in the mystery of the incarnation it was not god but rather a human being she had nourished in her womb there eutyches declared that christ's image could not resemble that of other men since divinity had chosen to dwell in his body and had consequently entirely altered the form of everything other quibblers maintained that the redeemer had had no body at all and that this expression of the holy books must be taken figuratively while tertullian put forth his famous semi-materialistic axiom only that which is not has no body everything which is has a body fitting it finally this ancient question debated for years demanded an answer was christ hanged on the cross or was it the trinity which had suffered as one in its triple hypostasis on the cross at calvary and mechanically like a lesson long ago learned he proposed the questions to himself and answered them for several days his brain was a swarm of paradoxes subtleties and hair splittings a skein of rules as complicated as the articles of the codes that involved the sense of everything indulged in puns and ended in a most tenuous and singular celestial jurisprudence the abstract side vanished in its turn and under the influence of the gustave moreau paintings of the wall yielded to a concrete succession of pictures before him he saw marching a procession of prelates the archimandrites and patriarchs their white beards waving during the reading of the prayers lifted golden arms to bless kneeling throngs 
he saw silent files of penitents marching into dim crypts before him rose vast cathedrals where white monks intoned from pulpits just as de quincey having taken a dose of opium and uttered the word consul romanus evoked entire pages of livius and beheld the solemn advance of the consuls and the magnificent pompous march of the roman armies so he at a theological expression paused breathless as he viewed the onrush of penitents and the churchly apparitions which detached themselves from the glowing depths of the basilica these scenes held him enchanted they moved from age to age culminating in the modern religious ceremonies bathing his soul in a tender mournful infinity of music on this plane no reasonings were necessary there were no further contests to be endured he had an indescribable impression of respect and fear his artistic sense was conquered by the skilfully calculated catholic rituals his nerves quivered at these memories then in sudden rebellion in a sudden reversion monstrous ideas were born in him fancies concerning those sacrileges warned against by the manual of the father confessors of the scandalous impure desecration of holy water and sacred oil the demon a powerful rival now stood against an omnipotent god a frightful grandeur seemed to des Esseintes to emanate from a crime committed in church by a believer bent with blasphemously horrible glee and sadistic joy over such revered objects covering them with outrages and saturating them in opprobrium before him were conjured up the madnesses of magic of the black mass of the witches revels of terrors of possessions and of exorcisms he reached the point where he wondered if he were not committing a sacrilege in possessing objects which had once been consecrated the church canons chasubles and pyx covers and this idea of a state of sin imparted to him a mixed sensation of pride and relief the pleasures of sacrilege were unravelled from the skein of this idea but these were debatable sacrileges in any case and hardly serious since he really loved these objects and did not pollute them by misuse in this wise he lulled himself with prudent and cowardly thoughts the caution of his soul forbidding obvious crimes and depriving him of the courage necessary to the consummation of frightful and deliberate sins little by little this tendency to ineffectual quibbling disappeared 
in his mind's eye he saw the panorama of the church with its hereditary influence on humanity through the centuries he imagined it as imposing and suffering emphasizing to man the horror of life the infelicity of man's destiny preaching patience penitence and the spirit of sacrifice seeking to heal wounds while it displayed the bleeding wounds of christ bespeaking divine privileges promising the richest part of paradise to the afflicted exhorting humanity to suffer and to render to god like a holocaust its trials and offences its vicissitudes and pains thus the church grew truly eloquent the beneficent mother of the oppressed the eternal menace of oppressors and despots here des Esseintes was on firm ground he was thoroughly satisfied with this admission of social ordure but he revolted against the vague hope of remedy in the beyond schopenhauer was more true his doctrine and that of the church started from common premises he too based his system on the vileness of the world he too like the author of the imitation of christ uttered that grievous outcry truly life on earth is wretched he also preached the nothingness of life the advantages of solitude and warned humanity that no matter what it does in whatever direction it may turn it must remain wretched the poor by reason of the sufferings entailed by want the rich by reason of the unconquerable weariness engendered by abundance but this philosophy promised no universal remedies did not entice one with false hopes so as to minimize the inevitable evils of life he did not affirm the revolting conception of original sin nor did he feel inclined to argue that it is a beneficent god who protects the worthless and wicked rains misfortunes on children stultifies the aged and afflicts the innocent he did not exalt the virtues of a providence which has invented that useless incomprehensible unjust and senseless abomination physical suffering far from seeking to justify as does the church the necessity of torments and afflictions he cried in his outraged pity if a god has made this world i should not wish to be that god the world's wretchedness would rend my heart ah schopenhauer alone was right compared with these treatises of spiritual hygiene of what avail were the evangelical pharmacopoeias he did not claim to cure anything and he offered no alleviation to the sick but his theory of pessimism was in the end the great consoler of choice intellects and lofty souls 
he revealed society as it is asserted woman's inherent stupidity indicated the safest course preserved you from disillusionment by warning you to restrain hopes as much as possible to refuse to yield to their allurement to deem yourself fortunate finally if they did not come toppling about your ears at some unexpected moment traversing the same path as the imitation this theory too ended in similar highways of resignation and indifference but without going astray in mysterious labyrinths and remote roads but if this resignation which was obviously the only outcome of the deplorable condition of things and their irremediability was open to the spiritually rich it was all the more difficult of approach to the poor whose passions and cravings were more easily satisfied by the benefits of religion these reflections relieved des Essaintes of a heavy burden the aphorisms of the great german calmed his excited thoughts and the points of contact in these two doctrines helped him to correlate them and he could never forget that poignant and poetic catholicism in which he had bathed and whose essence he had long ago absorbed these reversions to religion these intimations of faith tormented him particularly since the changes that had lately taken place in his health their progress coincided with that of his recent nervous disorders he had been tortured since his youth by inexplicable aversions by shudderings which chilled his spine and made him grit his teeth as for example when he saw a girl wringing wet linen these reactions had long persisted even now he suffered poignantly when he heard the tearing of cloth the rubbing of a finger against a piece of chalk or a hand touching a bit of moiré the excesses of his youthful life the exaggerated tension of his mind had strangely aggravated his earliest nervous disorder and had thinned the already impoverished blood of his race in paris he had been compelled to submit to hydrotherapic treatments for his trembling fingers frightful pains neuralgic strokes which cut his face in two drummed maddeningly against his temples pricked his eyelids agonizingly and induced a nausea which could be dispelled only by lying flat on his back in the dark these afflictions had gradually disappeared thanks to a more regulated and sane mode of living they now returned in another form attacking his whole body the pains left his head but affected his inflated stomach his entrails seemed pierced by hot bars of iron a nervous cough racked him at regular intervals awakening and almost strangling him in his bed then his appetite forsook him 
gaseous hot acids and dry heats coursed through his stomach he grew swollen was choked for breath and could not endure his clothes after each attempt at eating he shunned alcoholic beverages coffee and tea and drank only milk and he took recourse to baths of cold water and dosed himself with asafetida valerian and quinine he even felt a desire to go out and strolled about the country when the rainy days came to make it desolate and still he obliged himself to take exercise as a last resort he temporarily abandoned his books and corroded with ennui determined to make his listless life tolerable by realizing a project he had long deferred through laziness and a dislike of change since his instalment at fontenay being no longer able to intoxicate himself with the felicities of style with the delicious witchery of the rare epithet which while remaining precise yet opens to the imagination of the initiate infinite and distant vistas he determined to give the finishing touches to the decorations of his home he would procure precious hot-house flowers and thus permit himself a material occupation which might distract him calm his nerves and rest his brain he also hoped that the sight of their strange and splendid nuances would in some degree atone for the fanciful and genuine colours of style which he was for the time to lose from his literary diet end of chapter 7 recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey